if I can get curious about myself and why I do the things I do and paying attention to how people respond to me, like what I would love to do with practice managers is just sit them down and say, what I want you to do for the next week is I just want you to pay attention to how people respond to you. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes. Email me at andrea at furpaws.us or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Welcome back positive leadership listeners. Today we have a guest that I am super geeked out to be here (laughs) sharing time with, my good friend, Betsy Charles. She is the Vice President of Learning and Leadership Development at Mission Veterinary Partners and the former Executive Director at Veterinary Leadership Institute, now a board member. She has an MA and a DVM. Welcome to the show, Dr. Betsy Charles. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming on. I'm so excited to be here. Andrews, you are one of my very favorite people in the world. Uh, and thank so you, thank I you. am honored to be sharing a conversation with you and David, right? David, we just met. Yeah, 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 yeah. Betsy, I know quite a bit about your history and about who you are and what have brought you to the world of where you are today. But I would love for you to tell our guests and maybe surprise me with something I don't know about you yet. Oh, geez. Um, yeah, so I love veterinary medicine. I have had a really interesting and fun career. Uh, sometimes when I think about when people ask me about myself, I feel like I've lived multiple lifetimes. So before I was a veterinarian, I was an athletic trainer. I was going to go to medical school, kind of had a freak out, changed my mind to veterinary medicine because I've always been an animal lover and was an equine person. So did an internship, did a year of ambulatory practice, then just did specialty practice in performance horses, imaging and lameness. Went back and did a radiology residency, then was on a faculty, taught radiology for a few years, and then uh, life intervened and, and had a got to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with my beloved 
Drake and he had ALS and that was a two-year journey. And now I'm about three and a half years post him going to be with his creator and reinventing myself again. All throughout that, really passionate about leadership development within the profession, leading differently in the profession. I'm an adventure seeker. I'm a reader, avid reader. I love to hike. I ride horses. I love horses. They are my, if you were to ask me, I would say I'm a horse doctor at heart and I always will be. So they're my first love, but I love all things veterinary medicine. And especially now in my career, how do we thrive in veterinary medicine in a different model, right? Like how can we do it differently? Cause I don't think we're doing a good job right now. And so how do we develop the skill sets that are going to help us thrive and lead well? So Gosh, I'm trying to think of something. I think you know I'm a hip hop, crazy yes. hip hop. I didn't fan. know that you were going to start in med school, though. I didn't know. Oh that yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I my entire it. life. Is your dad I, a doctor? No, but my dad is an immigrant, first generation immigrant, and so I am the eldest daughter of a first generation immigrant. And so when that's Amazing. your, you got two choices: you can be a doctor or a lawyer. And so I chose doctor. And then I decided, you know, I, I'd gotten all the way through undergrad. I had applied to medical school. I was getting my secondary applications back. I came home one day and I said to Drake, like, what am I going to do if I get in? And he's like, you're going to go. <laughs> you're going to go. <laughs> and I said, I don't want to. I don't want to go. And I, I just had this like midlife crisis in my 20s and I decided not to go. And then fast forward, you know, a few months and I didn't have a job. Drake had a job that he loved and he was, I was driving him crazy. And so he was just like, you need to go get a job, go get a job, go shoot yeah, out. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's like, uh, you, you're just driving me nuts. So I, I, you know, I'm dating myself here, but I pulled out the newspaper. I looked in the one ads. There was an, uh, an ad for a fitness room attendant at the local country club. And so I went for an interview. And, you know, because I, I was also at my undergrad, I also did athletic training because I wanted to be a family physician with a sports medicine background. So I did. I was an ATC. And so there's this job at the country club. I went interviewed and the lady who interviewed me, Sue Linderman, she she's like, you're way overqualified for this job. But if you want it, I'll give it to you. And I said, no, you have to give me this job because my husband will kill me. I if can't I don't go home, home without with a job. Today. <laughs> I know. I can't. <laughs> But then what's funny is she had a picture on her desk of her on a horse jumping and I was a horse crazy girl. And so I was like, oh my gosh, you have a horse. And here's what she said to me. She said, yeah, I have a horse. Do you love horses? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I love horses. You know, I freak out. And she said, well, I have a lesson today. Do you want to come with me? And I just yeah. met her. Like she, I just met her and wow. interviewed with her. She gave yeah. me the job. Mm -hmm. I went out and within two weeks, I had leased a horse. I was learning how to ride. Like, I didn't know. Oh, how gosh. To, I didn't know how to do. Like, I couldn't get a horse from the stall to the cross ties without getting stepped on. And so, I, I, I mean, I, then very shortly after that, I was groom. I became the groom for the trainer because I was like, this is fantastic. I love this. And then a couple of weeks later, I met the veterinarian. And I was like, oh my gosh. That's where it was then. Yeah. I could be a different kind of, it, it just had yeah. never occurred to me to be a veterinarian. Now, Drake had said in under, he's like, have you ever thought about being a veterinarian? Because you love animals so much. Like, you should be a veterinarian. And I was like, no, I have to be a doctor. You know, because my dad was a hard driving, you mm -hmm. know, you got to be a doctor. And so Sue Linderman, 
I credit her with getting me in. You know, she's like, hey, you want to go to this wow. lesson with me? And yeah, I, very I, cool. I, That's amazing. And then when I met, so the veterinarian I met, his name is Frosty Franklin, cowboy from Wyoming. Oh, yeah. You talked about Frosty. Yeah. yeah. And he taught me everything I know about being a good horsewoman. And so like Including if you saw how me... to open a bar- bale of hay with another bale yes. of fun. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so he like if you saw me now around horses, you wouldn't know that I didn't grow up with them. But I didn't start. I didn't yeah, but that was a long time, though. Yeah, you had them 20 years. Well, well, well yeah, but, though, right? but yeah. I didn't start like I knew nothing about horses until I was in my 20s. Yeah. And so then I met Frosty. Then I I had to get bio. I had to take biochem. That was a requirement for vet school. It wasn't a requirement for medical school. And so I took biochem. I applied. I didn't get in my first try. Just kept working. So eventually I stopped working for the groom and I started working for Frosty. And then I got in my second try. And then the rest is history. Exciting. Here I am in vet med trying to change the world. There you go. One practice at a time. One person one, at a time. One leader one at a per- time. Yeah, one, one, one leader at a time. time. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Through your journey, could you pick a favorite book or podcast or CE or some <laughs> type, something that left a, left a lasting effect on you? Yeah, that's, I I mean, I am an avid reader. So I I probably read somewhere between one to three books every few weeks, every couple of weeks. Like I'm constantly listening and reading and um, so it's hard for me to choose one, but I think the I think the writers who have had the most impact on me, obviously Brene Brown, yes. she's the one that actually started me thinking about my own issues and my own approach to things. Simon Sinek is another person yeah, that I really, sure. you know, yeah. like yep. just the, there, there's Shout all out. those amazing, um, yeah. There's all the the classic people. I like to read outside of. I, there's a book called, I think it's called Imagination or Imagine. It's about creativity and getting curious and what are the skill sets associated with understanding people who are different than we are or than I am, you know, like, and and then how, so I like to read creativity and where does creative creativity come from and how do we learn? But then I also really like hostage negotiation. And so I spend a lot of time in hostage negotiation and like William Urey, Bill Urey, his, you know, getting to know Hmm. uh, or getting to get, you know, like, so hostage negotiation. Yeah, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but see, hostage negotiation skills, like I teach, I mean, you've been to my stuff. You don't even know that I'm, uh, what I'm doing is I'm teaching hostage negotiation because hostage negotiators have to build rapport immediately. They have to build trust and rapport right. immediately. Right. They yes. have to listen well. Uh-huh. They, all, they have to, like all the skill sets that they use are critical in leadership development. And so wow. I mm-hmm. geek out on, on hostage negotiation. I'm actually, um, before I got my job at Mission, I was trying to get into this hostage negotiator course and they won't let you, if you're not a sworn public servant, you know, like officer, if you're not a sworn officer, side, yeah. You don't get to. So I was trying to Mm. I was just beginning the process of petitioning to get into the program as a as a civilian, because I'm like, I want these skills and I want to take them into veterinary medicine Um, because I think we need Mm. we need. I mean, they're critical skills for building rapport with your clients and diffusing hostile. Yeah, right. Clients, you know. Yeah, right. Right. So that's my geeky like hostage negotiation is something that I'm really passionate about fascinating 
Well, I'm just getting to know you, Betsy. So it's it's really exciting for me to be meeting you virtually. And obviously, you definitely have a lean towards leadership. And even beyond that, I think it seems like it's not just being a leader, but developing leaders. So yes, specifically veterinary leaders, what makes this area so special to you? Well, it it stems from my internship experience. So I did an internship right out of vet school. And it was the worst. Uh, prior to Drake being sick, it was the worst year of my life. It, really hard. Um, and then at the end of that, I was like, if this is veterinary medicine, I don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, I was burned out. It just wasn't efficient. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a team. It just was a really negative experience. And there were a lot of things that went into that. Myself having part of that, you know, I need to own the part that I played in it not being a great year. Mm -hmm. But I got done and I was just like, this is not good. And so fortunately, um, when I was in vet school, uh, Kathy Ruby, who is a counselor, PhD counselor, she was hired to be the counselor for at Washington State my first year. And she and I became friends. And at the end of my internship, I called her and I said, I'm out. Like, I'm going to go work at Starbucks or I'm going to go do something different because I hate veterinary <laughs> medicine. Yeah. And she said, Oof. no, no, no. She was great. She talked me off the ledge and she said, how about you come to this program that we just developed at Washington State? It's called the Veterinary Leadership Experience. And so I was like, okay, I'll go. So in 2004, following my internship, I went to this program, which is a week-long leadership program. And it's all about, you know, Kathy developed it. And it's all about servant leadership, mm. situational, yes, emotional intelligence, all the things. And I'd never mm -hmm. had any formal leadership training. And so I went to this program, through this program, and it changed me. And I thought, well, if we could lead like this, veterinary medicine would be different. And so mm. that started me on this journey. And so then I, I was involved with the VLE every year after that. You know, so I've been involved since 2004. Every, you know, and so I just, I, that's what prompted me to go do my master's. And then when I was in practice, I was in an equine practice and was implementing the, you know, trying to build teams and build a culture that's collaborative, a culture that's not a bullying, shaming culture. You know, I, I just learned there's a different way for us to be. Mm -hmm. And I want to be that. Mm. Well, I've been trying to do that for 20 years. <laughs> and we're, we're Any traction now. yet? <laughs> Right. But it's, it's the culture of medicine, right? The yeah. culture of medicine yeah, really is, is brutal. And so we're trying to shift something that's really hard to shift. Yeah. And I think part of the reason it's so hard is in order for us to shift, we have to look at ourselves and nobody wants oh, to yeah. look at themselves. No. Yeah, no. right. We want to blame yeah. our clients. We want to blame right. our boss. We want to blame right. the practice manager. We want to, you know, like yeah. I, anybody I but ourselves. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anybody but ourselves. And so doing that hard work is hard. And people mm -hmm. don't want to do it. And so yeah. it is a, but then once you do it and you start to see what kind of team can develop and what happens in a practice environment that's psychologically safe, it's awesome. Yeah. And it, but it requires vulnerability and vulnerability is hard, especially in yeah. medicine with a, with a whole bunch of mm -hmm. overachieving perfectionists. Yeah, right. Don't perfectionist, yeah, yeah. Like we don't yeah. know how to fail. We don't know how to, we just don't know how to do that. And right. so it's, right. it's challenging. Oh, I bet. I just stalked you here on LinkedIn, and you have such an amazing mantra right on your LinkedIn page. I want to read it because it like gives me goosebumps. So <laughs> equipping others to shine through curiosity, creative conversation, and connection. And you know, you work a lot with, I assume, veterinarians, maybe mostly in terms of 
in terms of leadership and, and their development. So what is this kind of, you know, our listeners are mostly practice managers. We definitely have owners that listen yep. to, but obviously this isn't a medical podcast. So what do you think this kind of looks like for a practice manager? What are some, you know, traits or things that you've worked or experienced with managers that are maybe slightly toxic and, and how could they, you know, equip their staff to shine through yeah. curiosity, yeah. creative conversation and connection? Yeah, I love that. So what's interesting to me is that whole idea of curiosity. It starts with getting curious about yourself, getting curious about, I mean, it's one of the things that I talk to practice managers, especially, but I mean, everybody, but if I can get curious about myself and why I do the things I do and paying attention to how people respond to me, like what I would love to do with practice managers is just sit them down and say, what I want you to do for the next week is I just want you to pay attention to how people respond to you, how they respond to, you know, like pay attention to their nonverbals, pay attention to how quickly they do something, pay attention to how often they approach you or do you have to approach them? Like just get curious about how people respond to you and then get curious about where you think that comes from and why you think they're responding the way they're responding. And so to me, curiosity starts with getting curiosity, curious about myself and then getting curious about others. And that skill of cultivating curiosity in your own life, I think what it does is it makes us much less likely to be judgmental and critical and intolerant of others. Because when you get curious, that's, in my opinion, the first step to developing relationship with somebody. And so when I'm curious about you, and especially in today's day and age, like the polarized like we are so polarized and we're making life black and white and it's so gray and it's so nuanced to it. And I think getting curious about, well, why do you feel so passionate about that? Or why do you feel, why are you lumping in all these things that, you know, I could agree with this and not that and get curious about, like if we were to get curious about each other in veterinary medicine, I think things would get a lot easier and not be so judgmental and quick and harsh to judge when you don't really know. And that's where the creative conversation comes in, right? Like part of the reason, so this, that little tagline developed after Drake, like Drake was a, a phenomenal human being, amazing conversationalist. And so we, and we got married, you know, we were high school sweethearts. We got married when we were barely 20. We essentially grew up together, but we grew up cultivating this just creative conversation with each other and being curious about each other. And I mean, uh, until the day he died, I was learning new things about him. And so connecting, like connection happens when you get curious and you talk and you ask questions and you listen. And I think that those skills are so overlooked in medicine, you know, because we're worried about the, you know, practice managers are worried about efficiency and profit and loss and, and all the we have our to-do list and we're busy. And so we check those things off and we don't think about how valuable it is to just stop and say, how are you? Like, no, really, how are you? Connect with one another. That And that's what creates belonging in a place. And whenever I start talking about stuff like that, we're like, Betsy, I don't want to be best friends with the people I work with. You don't have to be best friends. You just have to be connected professionally. And that doesn't yeah. mean, you Take know- Take a moment to understand. Yes. Yeah. And so I think that the getting curious about yourself first, and then you can start to shift and change and adapt as you get to know others so that you're effective. And so to me, 
What does that look like for a practice manager? I believe the practice manager should be the grand poobah of connection, right? Like these skill sets, they should be ninja level on curiosity, creative conversation and connection. Because if you can do that with your people, them becoming the rest is easy. The rest is super rest easy, is easy, actually. And that's what facilitates high-performing teams. And we do it the opposite direction, right? Like we say, if you're good at medicine and you know how to, you know, do a physical exam really fast and, you know, da-da-da, all those things. That Yeah, that, that no. I need to do the other. I need to go the other way. Yes. Connect and then the rest will come. So one thing that I have learned from you and would love for you to talk more on is the option to choose our response to a situation, a conversation, or what our reaction is going to be in the moment to something, yes. whatever that may be. Yes. And I love having conversations with you. Every time I do, I feel like it's iron sharpens iron, right? Like I grow from hearing mm-hmm. and seeing and talking and having being creative about like it's okay in the moment, like be in the moment. We've talked about that before several times. Like it's okay to be in the moment, whatever that moment is and stop and like take a pulse. What am I feeling? How am I reacting? What, what what is this? Right. Physiologically, Mm -hmm. psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, all those things. That's curiosity, right? Like, yes. Get curious. And and deciding how I'm going to respond. I don't have to respond right away. I I can take a minute and take it in. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love that I've learned that from you. It's, it's amazing. And I, I love it. So, so how did you learn this? What led you to this being the focal point in your life? Yeah, I love that question because it was a long time ago. And so it's a Viktor Frankl quote. And I'm trying really hard to remember where I learned it or where I saw it. It might have just been a meme or maybe it's it, Brene, it was in Brene's. But it was way, way back in the day, like early, uh, mid-2000s, when I was getting ready to take my preliminary exam for my radiology boards. And so the quote is, between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And so Viktor Frankl is a Holocaust survivor. He was a uh, psychiatrist by training. Very wise guy. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. Um, But so between stimulus and response, there's a space in that space. We get to choose how we respond. Well, I was struggling to pass my preliminary exam and I felt like I wasn't enough. It took me four tries to pass my preliminary exam and about midway through that. So that would have been like 2010, 2011. I came across this idea and I because I was not choosing well in the failure, right? Like I was learning how to fit, you know, I, I, I felt like a failure. I felt like I'm never going to be never going to pass this test. And so then I started thinking, no, you get to choose how you're going to respond to this. And your response needs to be different. You haven't been successful. So your response needs to be different. And so I just changed how I studied. I changed everything about it started in a pretty, what I'm going to call clinical use of that quote, right? Like I haven't been successful passing this test. I need to choose differently how I'm going to spend my time to study. Well, then I started, then I really started to pay attention to Brene Brown. And I really started thinking about, okay, what do I want to do? And I was thinking more about leadership. I was reading, I was finishing my master's in leadership, which caused me to do a whole bunch of self-exploration. And then I started geeking out on the science behind it, the physiology, right? So essentially 
what Viktor Frankl said eons before we even really understood this whole how, you know, physiologically the fight, flight, freeze response, and that we have this opportunity to not let our amygdalas get hijacked and we can get our cortex online and we can make intentional, thoughtful decisions about how we respond. I think it was just a bunch of things coming together. And so now, and then I got the stimulus of stimuli of all stimuli in Drake getting sick. And we had to choose how we were going to respond to that diagnosis. You know, a diagnosis of ALS is not awesome. (laughs) And it is, you know, and we were hopeful, like we were hopeful God was going to heal him and he was going to be, uh, or, or he was going to be in one of, you know, there's a small handful of ALS patients who slow stop or reverse the progression of their signs. And, and so we, uh, we had a daily opportunity to decide how we were going to respond and what, how we were going to choose to be in the midst of a terminal diagnosis. So that was two years of practicing that skill on a weekly basis, basis, then daily basis, Mm -hmm. then hourly basis, then, you know, like, how am I going to respond to this? And, Mm -hmm. you know, that just sharpened my skills. And then after losing him, getting to decide, okay, stimulus and response, there's the space. And -hmm. sometimes the space is little, right? Like somebody... Mm -hmm. I was on. A, a, I was flying home this morning from Kansas State, and there was a baby in my section that just was crying, crying, crying. And so there's that, and I'm tired, and I, you know, I'm ready to get be home. And there's this immediate, like that noise, you know, that screaming mm-hmm. baby, and you, you know, yeah, so the space right. is small. I've got to decide how I'm going to respond, or the space could be huge. Like I'm going to be learning the space about learning how to be a widow, you know, at at a young age. That's learning how to live yeah. without your person. Yeah. That space is going to extend Huge. until I, yeah. you know, until yeah. I'm forever longer. Forever. Yeah. yeah. Right. So learning how to like, do I need to breathe? You know, like the best way to get into the space. And what I think about is when I get in the space, I got to get curious what's going on, what's happening. And as we practice that skill, we breathe, we reflect, then we move, right? Like movement is critical. Sometimes um, we listen to, you know, listening to music is really important in that space. Sometimes that can get you grounded and get your cortex online so you can make good decisions. But it's a lifetime of having opportunities Mm -hmm. to do hard things. And I'm not sure, you know, like, I think I'm very much more aware of how hard life is now. I see suffering all around me when I didn't Mm -hmm. see it before. I see it all around me now. And I have, you know, I just lost my little dog. She got hit by a car. That sucked. Mm. Uh, You know, so I've just been given these opportunities to deal with hard things and Mm -hmm. and practice what I preach. And and I don't want any of the things I experienced to have been in vain. So that's why I live so out there. You know, Mm -hmm. I just put myself out there because we suck. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we suck at doing hard things. And yeah. veterinary medicine yeah. is hard. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also, you know, like I, I say this all the time when I talk about the last five years, right? So the two years that I got to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and now the three plus years that I'm learning how to reinvent mm-hmm. myself and be okay. Most difficult thing I've ever done in my life, but also the most yeah. beautiful thing I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. And so that idea that suffering is, you know, out of suffering comes great beauty. And that tension between those two things is life. 
And I think it's important, you know, I always want to put a plug in for comparative suffering, right? Like my story is pretty extreme, right? Like there's some pretty hard things in my story, Mm -hmm. but those are relative, you know, like Mm -hmm. your story is your story and are hard things. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter, you know, like we all have to deal with them and we all have to have strategies. And I just think that curiosity, creative conversation and connection Mm -hmm. are really good ways to think about how are we going to go forward in a meaningful way? How am I going to handle that toxic employee? How am I going to handle that screaming client? And then not forgetting, how am I going to celebrate the victories too? Mm -hmm. Like, how am I going to be excited about all the joy in the midst of joy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think those are all critical skill sets. Right. If if we're going to lead well, we have to be well. And that Mm. starts with us. I recently went through some of my compassion fatigue training retraining for recertification and one of the lecturers hit home with me and he just talked about like that comparison suffering Mm -hmm. and he was talking about how there can be one person that's grieving or suffering and that could be with something that we I would think would be trivial so let's say I lost my pet and that could be so trivial compared to somebody else going through something like losing your partner you losing your spouse of, of 20 plus years and but there's no way of measuring that there's no way of comparing those suffering and saying well you just lost this you know this cat that you've had three weeks and you didn't even bond with it and and how could you even be suffering yeah comparatively to what i'm going through but there's no way to compare suffering or see or understand what somebody else is feeling totally and and that really hit home to me because sometimes i i hear these clients that complain see right they're not complaining but they're talking about their suffering or what they're experiencing. And I just have to remember, like I have to have compassion and empathy for them because I don't even understand what they are going through. I may think I understand because I have lost a pet, but I truly do not understand what it is like for what they are going through in that moment. Yeah. And it was very eye opening for me to have that understanding of comparative suffering. Like I can't, I don't know what they're going through. So how can I just support them and be empathetic? Yeah. One of the things Drake always said, and I learned this from him, he walked through ALS beautifully, but he always used to say suffering is suffering. And the best thing to do when somebody is suffering is just be with them. Right. But like, to me, the example I use is I got to be a speaker for the, um, a virtual graduation for the veterinary school graduates of 2020. Right. So COVID totally derailed their whole fourth year experience. Right. And so for some of those students, that was the most devastating thing they've ever experienced Mm, in their life. Right. Right. And so you just have to, you just have to remember, we all come at things. We all see life through a different lens. And so how dare me judge or, or, you know, like that's the most, and and or for for a young person, this might be the most devastating thing they've ever experienced. Or, you know, you just don't know. So I, and again, that's where that curiosity comes in. Like, gosh, that must be really hard. Tell me about it. Right. So then I can yeah. learn that, you know, I, I just want to understand, you know, like, tell me, do you want to talk about it? Mm-hmm. Because then we can find common ground, you know, then we can find common ground. Right. And right. most of the time, like when I, hey, I love talking about Drake, you know, not, not everybody does. I do love talking about him and remembering him and, and. Now a little Sadie's been gone for about a month, a little over a month. And so now I'm, you know, I'm starting to, to want to tell stories about her. Um, and, uh, but really when we're suffering, we just want 
we want it to be acknowledged, right? We want it to be heard. We want to be seen and heard mm-hmm. in the, in our pain. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that is hard to do. But just allowing somebody to be seen and heard in their pain, mm-hmm. acknowledge it, that that just goes so far. Yeah, that's so true. I love how we spent such a great amount of time on, you know, I mean, so many different things, but curiosity <laughs> is kind of the primary. And then the next part of your mantra, if we kind of follow that down the the rabbit hole for a minute is creative conversation. So let's say I am the manager, I'm sitting in my office and, you know, CSR comes in and she's got, you know, uh, like a tear in her eye. And she's like, you know, this client's being horrible to me. And I go up front and, you know, there's this, for lack of a better word, you know, big jerk out there. Yeah. And I don't know about every other manager. I can only speak for myself, but, you know, I'm not going to lie and say I don't get triggered, you know, when somebody's yelling and screaming at me. I've never, thank God, had anybody be physically aggressive, but, you know, it's still, you know, triggering, you know, to just have somebody, you know, slam their chart down on the desk or be really, uh, you know, red faced or whatever. So I don't mean it to be that extreme, but essentially my point is we've got curiosity. I'm in a conversation or I'm in, in a situation with somebody else. I'm triggered. Tell me or tell us and the listeners a little bit about this creative conversation piece. It doesn't have to be that like extreme, like you could be dealing with an employee who's having a crisis, right? But what does it mean to you? And like, what does that look like in veterinary leadership? What is a creative conversation? Yeah, that's a great question. So creative conversation to me is asking good questions and then listening and listening and then listening some more. And so creative conversation, you know, like seems like you're frustrated or, you know, just, and then tell me more and then let them talk and listen. And then after they're done, say, and what else? And then listen some more and, you know, and, and go on and give them the, I just listened to a little clip by um, Simon Sinek that he referenced, I can't remember her name now, uh, but she's a Muslim. I don't know what her job is, but she was Muslim and she was targeted by white supremacists. And one of the things that, so what she did in order to develop relationship and connect is she moved to the United States and she attempted to befriend the white supremacists. What she developed was this idea around allowing people to empty their bucket. And so to me, creative conversation is all about, I'm going to ask questions and listen until somebody can empty their bucket. And then once their bucket is empty, then we can start to have real meaningful dialogue, right? And I like that idea of tell me more, go on, what else? And so that you're always allowed, you know, and then when you get, there's nothing else, then you can start to ask additional questions that allow for meaningful conversation. And so to me, getting creative about how we listen, how we ask questions, um, you know, that they're open and and honest questions. And um, it just, that's what allows for connection. And then out of that, you know, one of my favorite questions, I have two questions that I love. One of them is, what do you need? What do you need right now? Do you need space? Do you need conversation? Do you need a hug? Do you need me to solve a problem? You know, like, what do you need is a meaningful question to me. And then the other question that I love is, what are you afraid of? And so mm. when I ask those, you know, like I, ask to answer. That, I ask that those questions of my direct reports often like, okay, what do you need? Like, what barriers can I remove? If I can remove them, you know, how can I support you? What do you need from me? And then I think the, I love, so to me, creative conversation is a lot of times we just stay right at the surface, right? And so this is something that Drake and I 
spent our entire marriage um, working on. So you can stay kind of surface, but we're always looking for opportunities to go through the back of the wardrobe into Narnia. So if you haven't read C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's a fantastic story about a wardrobe and the kids find this wardrobe in an old house and they can go through back into Narnia, through the back of the wardrobe, into this magical land where I believe everybody gets to be their full identity. Like, so when they go into Narnia, they get to live in their full identity. And so creative conversation is looking for the entrance that leads to Narnia, right? Like I'm looking for little things. I'm listening for something that somebody says that makes me stop and go, oh, there it is. There's the back of the wardrobe. If I ask a question about that, we're going to go to a different level of conversation. What are you afraid of is often an invitation through the back of the wardrobe into Narnia, where we can actually start to talk about what's really going on Instead of staying at the surface, we di- we go whoop, right down into this other level. Drake was a master at that. And I got to be married to him for 27 years. So I think I'm pretty good at it too. And so that sometimes we talk about it like there's a portal. I'm looking for portals into Narnia where we can stop being superficial and we can start being real. And I think good leaders do that. So I'm constantly, my direct reports, I'm constantly looking for portals to Narnia. And then once we get there, then we can start to become a high-performing team. That's fantastic. And it leads leads me to ask you, how can managers be better leaders? Because there's a difference between managing like you talked about earlier, right? Like the PL report and efficiency. Yep, yep. So that's managing and being a better leader. Yep. So knowing that my job is to lead my team, right? Yes. I love that quote by Zig Ziglar, like develop your people and let your people develop your business, right? Yes. Like yes. let them worry about, I don't yes. know, the PL or efficiency, yep. right? Develop your people. So if we are to be better managers, we have to be better leaders to me first. We have to be better leaders. So how do we integrate leadership into our practices? First, it starts with me. And then how do we develop that leadership with our teams? So I think one of the most important things to do is, is start with the beginning. (laughs) And to me, the beginning is defining leadership. What is leadership? Because I think what happens is we, we start talking about leadership and none of us really know what we're talking about. Uh, we sure, we can right. we when I ask people to define it, oftentimes they will they will define it by telling me here are the traits of a good leader. I'm like, okay, I love all those, and usually I'm like, yeah, that's, I agree, agree, agree. But what is leadership exactly? And the definition that I love, it's the definition we use at the VLI. It's the definition we're gonna, you know, we'll be using it at Mission Veterinary Partners. Is leadership is a process whereby an individual influences a group of individuals toward a common goal. And so there's multiple ways to do that, right? Like you can use servant leadership, situational leadership, transformational leadership, hierarchical top-down leadership. So the the style, that does, you know, there's a million ways to do that. The act, you know, like it's a process. So what that tells me is it's ongoing. You're always going to be learning. Process whereby an individual influences and influence is critical. And so to me, leaders are people who influence. Influence is all about changing behavior. And so how, if I can do, so, 
your question is how do man how do our practice managers lead well? You have to learn how to become a person of influence. And it's a process, right? And so you're going to try that you're going to like what is the behavior that I want to change? What is the ba- or that I want to have influence on? Do I want people to arrive timely in a timely fashion? Do I want them to have crucial conversations and not wait to have the you know not let things fester? Do I want them to be make good decisions, right? So I want to have influence over the decision-making process and how they make decisions. And do I want them to be better at outlining expectations for team members? Um, So how do I have influence? And have I Mm -hmm. defined what the goal is? That's the other Mm -hmm. thing that we suck at in veterinary medicine. We Mm -hmm. don't define the goal. Mm -hmm. And so then you've got the technicians might be going one way. This doctor might be going another way. The practice manager might be going another way. We haven't defined the goal. (laughs) Right. Right. So as a leader, I think like for my team, I need to say the, here's where we're going, right? Like I'm going to have influence to get us where we're going. Our CEO is fantastic. He is, he has done a phenomenal job of saying, here's our mission. Here's our, when I'm doing it in presentations, I have a little green star, right? Like what's our green star. And so then how am I going to have influence to get everybody moving forward to reach that green star? And so those are, I mean, what I just, the way I just answered that, Andrea, yeah. was like millions. Yeah. Steps, and the way right? I think about that, I, I always use the analogy of like, we're in, we're in a boat and the practice owner has a vision to get to that island, that island yep. over there. And I don't know, that's Fiji, right? I don't care. This beautiful island. And mm-hmm. that's where the practice owner wants to go in the boat. And in the boat, he gives the practice manager, who is the captain of the ship, right? He yep. gives that the captain then like a compass that's broken and a map written in visible ink. Yes. Right. And then there's like a, you know, a technician with a broken oar. And then there's a a CSR that's like just chatting it up across the the rowing. Right. They're just chatting it up instead of rowing. And then you see, you know, (laughs) a doctor over here that's sunbathing on a raft. Right. And then you see this little kennel guy that just row, 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 row. And he's rowing so hard. And the boat's just spinning in circles. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's my thought of how, you know, what I use, like when you say you have a green star, like that's what I use with practices on a regular basis. And so we have to define what that island is and where we're going and how we get there. What's yes. our action oh, plan? Yes. And then knowing and that if I'm going to have some influence to influence people to, <laughs> we're going to row together, we're going to go this direction, we're going to follow this, you know, SOP or whatever it is. Yep. In order to have influence, I have to have trust. So when you talk about going, yep. you're going to start at the beginning. For me, I can't have influence until I have trust with my 100%. team. And I can't have trust unless I have vulnerability. And so yep. then I talk about like, we have to be naked with each other and nobody wants to be naked, right? Like totally. that's so uncomfortable. Totally. And the then the other thing that. is we have to recognize we're going to make mistakes. And then yeah. we got to, of course, you know, like I am trying, I think that my experience failing my preliminary exam so many times taught me like fail fast, fail often, learn, move, right? Pivot. And we pivot. are, yeah, we don't fail do and that. pivot. Yeah. yeah. We don't do that in vet med very well. And so I think that idea of like, let's try some things. And if it doesn't work, we'll learn from that. And then we'll do something different. And mm-hmm. that's, yeah. okay. that's okay for us to do that. And I also think that if leadership is influence, everybody in that boat is a leader because we all have influence on what's Over happening, each other. Yeah. You know, and so we've got to talk to each other and we've got to think about how do, you know, I don't, I think in veterinary medicine, especially right now, we're so focused on blaming others that we're not recognizing like, no, I have influence in how I show up and I can choose again, stimulus and response. I can choose 
to be part of the problem or part of the solution. There's no neutral. Yeah. Like yeah, you're either, and you, you're either you choose your behavior. The, yeah. You're, you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. And that's okay. Like if if the problem is one that you're not willing to put energy and effort into, that's okay. Go find a different practice to be a part of. Right? Like and that's okay. I'm not right. saying that in yeah. a, you know, like not yeah. everything Liberate not them. everybody's going <laughs> to yeah. always fit yeah. everywhere, right? And I think that's one of the things that we in veterinary we tolerate toxic when we probably shouldn't. Isn't that and, the truth? Yeah. And we make it personal, right? Like this isn't personal. You're just not a here's our green star or here's the island we're headed toward. If you don't want to go to that island, that's okay. Go find a practice that's going to an island you want to go to. Mm, and I'll help you find that, you know? Yeah. That's a great point. So I love you telling your story on this podcast and how it really drove you to a lot of what you're doing today. And obviously you are in the trenches. You've been in the trenches. You've been a vet. You've worked in practices. You know what a lot of us face. So yeah. And, and I still, like, I still work. Yeah. I still, yeah. I still oh, do that's... ultrasound every once in a while. That's, that's important no, that's to me. Awesome. Uh, no, I, want, I want to yeah. be in the trenches because right. I, right. a lot right. of times what people will say, well, you don't know. And right. I'm like, you go, oh, no, no, no. Exactly. Exactly. You just had a cat trying to claw my face off in the room, you know? Right. No, that's amazing. So we like to ask this question and it's not meant to kind of glorify mistakes or guilt them or shame them. But we do like to identify the, you know, mistakes as a way to improve. So what are a couple common mistakes that we have made, are making, you know, with veterinary leadership and developing leaders in our practices and not debunk them, but identify a few sure, because that's sure. such an easy, you know, it's such an easy way to start with that negative frame, right? But then let's right. build, as we've done on this pod, let's build out their uh, areas for opportunity, right? So what are a common, couple common mistakes that veterinary practices make when developing our leaders and bringing leadership into our practices? Yeah, I think one of the most common ones is not getting rid of people soon. So, you know, like recognizing that there's toxic, like we tolerate a lot of bad behavior before we're going to do something about it. So, and maybe that's tied up in crucial conversations, having crucial conversations, hard conversations. I think that that is one of the biggest things that we just let things fester. And then we, and then what happens is you're really good people get really annoyed and then the good people leave. And so I think that there's something really important about identifying who is the best fit for the team. And if there's not a best fit, taking swift action to rectify that. Mm. And that could be mm. just bringing it to people's attention, developing a plan for, you know, how, how are you going to get better or helping that team member find a better fit in a different practice or a different mm-hmm. line of work, you know? So I think that that mm-hmm. is a hard thing. Uh, or that's something that we do commonly. And then the the other mistake that we make in leadership is we make it about other people and not about ourselves. We want to blame mm-hmm. others. It's often, it's us. Point like, the finger mm-hmm. at someone else. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, not that, taking any ownership is, or responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to me, leadership is all about me leading myself first, like personal leadership first, mm-hmm. and then leadership of others. And and often mm-hmm. those two things are happening in in conjunction. But if we're not willing to look at ourselves, we're not ever going to lead well. Mm, That's amazing and quite well said. What is one or two really good action items that we can start tomorrow? And I say that with the preface of you've given us some good things to maybe um, ask questions into leadership. Can you give us something that is something literally tangible that tomorrow when I go into the office, the first thing I can do is this to make it start making a difference. 
Yeah. So I think the skill set is paying attention to your physiology and paying attention to the things that a trigger is a hard, is an aggressive word to me, but like, I call it kind of this unsettled in my spirit. Like if I have an interaction that I'm like, "Mm, that didn't go so well. Um, So starting like the practical things that I want people to put into start doing right away is pay attention to your physiology because all of us kind of have a physiologic tell, whether your mouth gets dry, your heart starts racing, you know, whatever it is like, and those are usually cues that something isn't going as well as it could go, whether that's an interaction with a client, an employee, some sort of conversation. It might even be something that, you know, you're doing and you're like, oh, I'm not doing this as effectively as I could be doing this. Um, so pay attention to your physiology so you know what your physiologic tell is. Because then I know my body so well that I know yeah. something just happened. I need to yep. get in the space. Yeah, I need yeah. to get in the space. And then to me, getting in that space is getting curious. Like what just happened? What's going on with me right now? What do I need Why to know? Why did I have a reaction? Yeah. Why did I have a reaction? So I think that that, and that's under practice. Because okay. usually we just because usually what happens, we just ignore it, we blow right past it, and then it's just going to be a reaction. I want you to practice the skill of being proactive about what am I feeling right now. Um, so I think that's a really great skill to practice. Uh, the other thing that I think puts is something that you can put into practice right away is make it a goal to ask at least one of your team members an open and honest question, right? Like, And what I mean by that is it's a question that you don't know the answer to, right? Like open-ended questions invite story. Open, honest questions invite story through curiosity because I don't really know the answer, right? Like a lot of times I think we ask questions to get to what we think is the story instead of saying, I have no idea. I'm going to ask a question that's going to take us through the back of the wardrobe, So asking, you know, just taking the time to find one of your team members or whatever, ask a good question. And I find those to be open-ended questions. And what I tell people in management and leadership is, and my coming up from an HR aspect is asking open-ended questions and don't lead the question. Don't lead your answer Mm -hmm. in the question. Like you said, you're making this assumption that, so when you came in the hospital today and you were pissed off, okay, no, 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 no. When you came into practice today and you kicked the trash can and threw your keys, it appeared that you were upset. Can you tell me about that situation? Even the appearance of like, skip that, right? Like you're leading the answer in your question instead of saying, hey, this morning when you came in, tell me about what was going on. Yeah. And there's just open-ended, tell me about, right? And because I think what happens is we think, like you said, we think we know the answer. And so we're inserting an assumption yeah. And what we where we want the direction to go. And instead yes. of asking more, like you say, with the curiosity to find out where the back of the wardrobe is. And yeah. that stimulates me to think about that skill set. I mean, you just are talking about the nonviolent communication model, right? Like, don't make assumptions. Don't judge. Don't put a judgment on it. Just talk about behaviors. Very specific what a movie camera would record. And so that's another thing. Another very practical skill is the rule of six. The rule of six is all about story, the stories we tell ourselves. And so usually what happens is somebody comes into the practice and they're huffy and they're, and we immediately tell a story. And what I tell people is that could be the story. You, you absolutely could be right, but it could be something else. But it might not. Yeah. yeah, The rule of six says I'm going to, so I had this gut reaction that says, this is the story. Fair. 
Now I want you to think of five additional stories that could explain what happened. Because I love stories and I love telling stories and I love thinking of stories. This is one of my favorite things to do. And my family of origin is all about telling stories that aren't true. And I'm just like, where did you come up with like that? (laughs) What's going on right now? And so it's something I've had to really work hard at because I want to, and let's be real. The story that we tell is not a good story. It's not a positive story. It's not an affirming story. It's a, that person is a jerk and she doesn't care and she doesn't like me. And, you know, instead of, well, maybe they have an elderly parent at home that they're caring for. And that person Mm -hmm. had a hard time this morning, or maybe they got a phone call that they won the lottery and they're not sure how they're going to, you know, like I, so now it's one of my favorite things that I do is I tell these, these elaborate stories about, and then usually by the time you're in the third or fourth story, you're like, I have no idea why they're doing that. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, so then you're just like, and what's the only way that I'm going to know the story? Is by asking an open-ended question without the assumption. Yeah. Like, how are, you know, tell me about, you know, how do you think it's going today? Or, you know, just like, I, like, I have no idea what the story is. So I love that skill, the rule of six, right? So I'm going to. So the flip side of that, I say, is I call it the MSU, making shit up. And yeah. so oh, it's MSU, right? Where yep. you have this thing that whatever it is, and you make this story up in your head. And then the story goes somewhere because you allow your brain to yes. take the story down this rabbit hole. And here you take the plunge and all of a sudden, right, the world is ending and holy yes. cow. And so you've made this shit up. It's total MSU. And so yes. what I have like in my brain, instead of taking and making five or six more stories, I have said, you have to stop doing this. So first of all, you have to catch yourself yep. doing it. And then you have to train your brain to stop and switch gears. But it's very difficult to do because you're down the rabbit hole, right? You're already down there, right? So like Alice in Wonderland and Peter and you're having tea with a Mad Hatter, right? Like it's crazy nonsense. And so for me, my training has always been stop what you're doing and and get doing something else. So my mom used to always say, right, if you have trouble going to sleep, recite the books of the Bible, right? So I'm always like, okay you know, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? And I'm going through the motion. And now I'm like, okay, I can't say that probably anymore, but I can say, why don't you pick some dog breeds and do them alphabetically, right? And then you're like, Afghan. Yeah, totally, (laughs) totally. Yeah, so you got to train yourself to stop doing that, right? Like you can't go to- Yeah, that's the skills, right? And I would say that's in the space, stimulus and response, there's the space. When you're in the space, you've got to train yourself to do different things. And really what we're training ourselves to do is override the sympathetic and let the parasympathetic predominate, right? So the science behind that is I've got to override this cortisol, dopamine, you know, like I've got to override the adrenal gland squeezing. (laughs) Yep. I've got all this cortisol cortisol in my system. I've got to override that. And then I've got to let the parasympathetic parasympathetic yeah. predominate, right? And yeah. so that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. MSU. I'm going to. Yeah, MSU. Quit MSU. Stop it. Stop it. Yep. Yep. If you could give one piece of advice to our listeners today, what would that be? Be present. You got today. Don't spend too much time worrying about the past. Don't fret about the future. You've got today. Now use the past and you know, like the past is going to inform how you go forward into the future. But I think we spend way too much time worrying about what was, fretting about what will be, and then we miss what's right in front of us. And so for me, 
like I say it now in every presentation that I do, it's one of the first things that I do is I say, one of the things I, the most important thing I learned probably in the Valley of the Shadow of Death was I got today. I got this moment and I am mm-hmm. going to be fully present. Mm-hmm. And that is a hard, hard thing to do, especially in light of our our devices and the addiction that we have to social media and all the things. But for me, and I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to other people, is just you got today, you got right now, this moment, be present. It's a game changer uh, for relationship and connection. So this part of the show, (laughs) I am going to ask you for the one time where you are in a situation and all of a sudden, like your palm went to your forehead and your eyes popped out like bugs, your chin hit the ground and you said, no freaking way this just happened. Cannot make this shit up. OMG, this just happened. Tell me your story. Okay. So there's so many. Um, So when I finished my internship, I spent a year in an ambulatory truck in a predominantly equine practice. But we also had where we live, there's a lot of hobby farms and 4-H and and stuff like that. And so I was a low man on the totem pole. So I was often getting all the farm animal calls, right? Like I didn't get to work on the horses. I was having to go out and take care of all the farm animals. Mm -hmm. And I know nothing about farm animals. (laughs) Like, let's be clear. I was a horse girl like that's all I wanted to work on. I was just horsey girls. And so I got a call one day to go out to the high school, the local high school. They were getting their sheep ready. And I'm, I'm probably going to use bad, not appropriate terminology because I'm not a sheep. I'm not a ruminant <laughs> okay. person. We can translate. <laughs> yeah. So I got a call that um, a sheep had fallen off of the stand that where they were shearing them. Shearing, <laughs> you know, like they're, yes. they're getting them ready for the fair. And so I get out there and I go and I look at, and there's a sheep and it's standing there. And I look, I, and they're like, they, it did something to its leg. So I got all these high school kids there. And it's not just like one, it's like a pack of high school kids and this poor sheep. And so I get out there and, and they're like, it did something to its leg. We don't think it's, I don't know what's going on. And so I look at the sheep, and I do the exam and it's like, you could take its leg, its front leg, its tibia, its shin was broken in half, broken in oh, half. Oh, snap. Like, and so you could, like, I could take both ends and I can move them on. It wasn't, oh, through my the, gosh. it wasn't through the skin, but it was, and I'm just like, holy crap, this is bad. This, this is, is bad. Good. And I have no clue what to do. And so I'm just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I had learned very early on because they were sending me out on all these sheep calls and goat calls and pig calls. And so I'd learned how to like hit my pager so that the pager went off and then I could go call my boss, right? Because my boss, Dr. Colburn, he was like, he's fantastic. He's like the uh, modern day James Harriet, like any species, any animal. And so I'm like, I hit my pager. Oh, hang on a second. Just keep the sheep still. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go run and um, get this. Could be an emergency. And so I go out to the car or out to the parking lot. And I'm like, Colburn, this sheep's leg. Like, do I have to put Like, I had no clue what to do. And he's like, Betsy, just clean off the dirt and make sure there's no poop in there. Just clean it off. Get the bone ends, like, sort of close to each other and put some plaster, put it, put a cast on it. It'll be fine. And I'm like, Colbert. And this is their show sheep. (laughs) Yes, this is a show sheep. 
And I, you know, and I'm like, Colburn, there's like 25 high school kids. He's like, just go in there and act like you know what you're doing. Get the, the he's like, You've seen a horse get a cast on it. Like, just put a freaking cast on the sheep's leg. And so I walk back in and I'm like, holy crap. I don't even know where the cast material is in my truck. <laughs> um, so I go in and I've got p- plaster and I, like, I've never done this in my life. And so I go in and, and I'm like, and I just pretend like I know what I'm doing. This is not a big deal. So we're just going to clean this up. I've got all these kids. We're going to clean this up and we're going to make sure that we get the ends approximated. And I'm using all kinds of big language. And then, and then we're going to, we're going to put a cast on this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to hold this. We get this cast on the sheep. Apparently it was okay. And so I, and I put it on and I, I was like, okay, now we're going to wait four to six weeks. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to take this cast off. And then you're going to take your sheep to the fair and it's all going to be fine. Oh, Lord. So then I, t- I tell Colburn what I've done and he's like, yeah, good job. And, I, and I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping that it's not me that has to go back out there. And, you know, but I go back out and I, d- I forget how long it was because Colburn's like, oh, it doesn't take that long. It'll be fine. It's a young thing. It's a young sheep. It'll be healed in two weeks. Um, but give them four. And so I go back out there. I cut the cast off. And I kid you not, this sheep was 100% fine. You couldn't even tell that its leg was broken. And they went on what to take jam. it to the they went on to take it to the fair and it was fine. But it was one of those moments where when I picked, when I was doing my physical exam and I, I was like, this sheep's tibia is in two. <laughs> like, and, and I can, it's like, if I, if I just poked this a little bit too hard, this oh. is coming right through the skin. Oh. And, and I'm like, I have no idea what to do. So that, that was, I mean, and then, you know, there's multiple, I should really write a book about that year that I was in practice. Like I got a page one day, like my pigs, intestines are coming out of its butt. And so I had to fix that. I had a veal calf that I thought was going to die and I just put a whole bunch of stuff in it and it was fine. Um, I mean, now you're making yourself sound like Dr. Pole and you can't go there. <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, it was, but, but here's the thing, like those, those ruminants, like you got to yeah. try to kill them. They're hardy. Like they, yeah. they are hardy. hardy. Like yeah. unlike a horse, you like look at a horse backwards or crosswise and it yeah. dies, you know, yeah. I'm just like, those cows and sheep and goats, like you got to try to kill them. They're going to, they're <laughs> going to survive. <laughs> and it's a good thing because I didn't know Jack Diddley about any. That's why you start off practicing on ruminants, right? Yes. Oh my Every gosh. veterinarian should practice and do an internship on ruminants that way. <laughs> oh, it was that though, that year, that was the year. I mean, it was good because I had just come off that internship and, and then I spent this year in a truck going out to farms and doing all kinds of it was the I call it my James Harry year, and it it's what helped me fall back in love with veterinary medicine because I because there is so much stuff that I I'm like oh my gosh like I just fixed that and that little sheep yay me yay me <laughs> that little sheep's going to the fair and you and know, you probably inspired some kid to be a veterinarian right I hope so I hope yeah. so I mean that the veal calf that I say like I literally thought the thing was gonna when I got there its membranes were blue it was eyes were rolled back in its head. So we just, the technician told me, he's just like, Junior was like, okay, let's just, I, I let's put this and this, and we tubed it. And I said, if this little calf doesn't turn around here in, in a few Minute. hours, I want, <laughs> I want, yeah, I want you to call me and I'm going to come out here and we're going to put it to sleep because we don't yeah. want this little, well, I didn't hear from him. And so I thought that the calf probably died. Asked, yeah. They called me in the morning and they're like, Dr. Charles. It's a miracle. You saved it. The thing was fine. Well, then 
I was the only person they'd call to come out and take care of all their cows. Oh like, gosh. No, no, no. Right. Miracle me. worker. Like, that was a, that was an accident. That was an accident. And I so, didn't mean to, I swear. <laughs> and then word got out like Dr. Charles is the cow whisperer. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not actually. <laughs> Good thing it's a ruminant. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. My epic failure is having to take my preliminary exam in radiology four times. Tell me about your proudest moment getting to usher my beloved into the arms of his creator with no regrets. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? I just love science and I love medicine and I don't like sick people. Self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? Horses. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work (laughs) guilt in that balance? That's an assumption there that I do that. (laughs) For me right now, work brings me joy. I don't think about it as work-life balance. I think about it as work-life integration. What keeps you up at night? uh, Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in life? Our inability to talk to one another about hard things. What gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? That I get to be a difference maker in that angst. What color are you? I would say that I'm a mix of red and yellow. I don't know, Andrea, you're, what do you think? What color do you think I am? I would have said right off the bat, red for sure. And yeah. I was like, but there's something that softens her and it's not pink. So yeah. I like the yellow. Yeah. Yes. And I would say, you know, there's a before and after Betsy. And what is your spirit animal? I would say I'm a border collie. And Betsy, could you give us a shout out to where we can find you on your socials? Yes, you can find me at... Dr. Bessie Charles on Instagram, um, Dr. Bessie Charles, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm, I think I'm on all of those things. I'm, I'm going to start being a little bit more active than I have been in the past. But yeah, you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Dr. Bessie Charles. Thank you so much. Thank for you, Betsy. On. Betsy, this, this was, was absolutely amazing. We hope you're uh, have a great weekend again. Thank, thank you. you. So much fun. Yes. Thank you for having me. What an honor to have such a great conversation with you both. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your you can't make this shit up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast and be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. 
And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.